Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here with a guest today. And this is actually for a part two because we did part one way back in 2022, seems a while ago, almost actually just over a year. We interviewed Kobe, who's a listener of the show, and Kobe was going through the building process in a brand new estate, going through the process of a house and land package and being a first home buyer and all the things that come with that. And so we left off that episode, which was episode 419, with Kobe just about ready to pour her slab to start the build. A lot has happened since then. She's actually sold the property, plot twist. Let's get into it and find out how it all went down. Welcome, Kobe. Thanks for having me again. I am so intrigued. It's been over a year since we spoke about your home buying journey Mm -hmm. and you are now... You've been a homeowner and you've been a home seller. Yes. <laughs> and you're back in the rental market. Yes. It's come full circle. So let's go back to where we left off. Yep. Seems logical. Perfect. Uh, so I had to listen to the episode today uh, <laughs> to see what we spoke about. And I would like to preface this conversation with, I was very excited about the build and I thought a lot of things would happen and it went a very different way. Um, in saying that, I would still build again. Hey, so we're in a very different way. So yep. that sounds like a few curveballs maybe. Yes, we had a lot. Yeah. So we were about to have the slab poured and the site cut. Um, that did happen in the timing that we thought it would, which was great. Then our slab sat there for two months. And what? that was shocking um, because all of our neighbours around us had their houses basically built in that two-month time period while our house sat as a slab. After the two months, we had our frame delivery and then our frame sat there for about a month. And that was shocking because it's not good for it to sit in the weather and all of those extra things. And in that time, all of our neighbours had moved into their house. Oh my goodness. So hang on, rewind. So Mm -hmm. the slab sat there for two months. Yep. Why? Good question. (laughs) Um, The builder just said, well, that's just how we do things now. Basically, they took on too many jobs. Over COVID, that's when there were all the incentives for people to build. They took on way too many. They lost a lot of staff. The cost of building went up. All these things happened. And our company, we were very lucky, didn't go broke or into liquidation or anything, Mm -hmm. but they didn't have any staff or subcontractors to come and build our house. Right. So the contract was in place. They had to build your house, but they didn't have the manpower to do it. Yes. And when you sign a build contract, they give a set number of business days on what your house should be finished in. And at the time when we signed it, it was about a year's worth. And we were kind of like, oh, we probably won't need that. And knowing that my partner was in the industry, he said that often wouldn't, you know, get to that end date for the length of the build. And when all of this was happening and our build was getting delayed and our side was sitting there, the builders basically turned around and said to us, well, we don't have to finish your house until the end of January. So we are not stressed that your house is not being built right now. Right. So even though you might be sold the dream of X amount of months, 
you've kind of got to work off a worst case scenario yeah. of what's actually in the contract. 100%. We were told the build should be three to four months from basically when the land titled it and they put up the fences. So a couple of weeks before the site cut and the cyber's poured, and that should be about three months after that new house is built. And a lot of building companies stay with that timeframe, but uh, not our builders. Wow. And so, I mean, what was the feeling like seeing all these other houses going up and I think you had a Facebook group of some of the neighbours? Yep. Uh, So that was hard to see all of the other ones going up and our neighbours moving in. And it was probably even worse that we came to know our neighbours because they were then questioning, oh, why is your house taking so long? Our house is this and that. And, you know, they had their slab support and their frame go up the next day, which is actually too fast. It should cure for about a week. So then they had their own issues with their builds, but it was pretty hard and pretty devastating. Really, we'd go and visit our slab every week. I mentioned in the last episode, we used to go and look at our dirt every week <laughs> for months. Um, we looked at our slab and we're like, oh, you know, this is our bedroom and this is our kitchen. And it kind of just stayed like that for ages. Wow. And so through that process of obviously they were falling back on the fact, look, we're going to meet your contract needs. Yeah. Calm down. We got it covered. Yes. But were you onto them? Did you feel you had to be onto them? 100%. We were calling, we were emailing. Honestly, they hated us. I would just say that. Um, But you, you need to be. At the same time, we had our customer experience officer. So the head office person who looked after you and your build, we had multiple people leave. So then new ones would come in and they wouldn't know what had been happening. So you'd kind of had to start the process all over again. At that point, we were also on our third supervisor. And that is another whole thing because really your site supervisor is the one that is going to make your build go. And I always thought it was the head office person, but really it was who was in charge of your build. And at this point, we'd had one site supervisor up until the slab was poured and then they left. So that was not helpful. And that probably delayed a few things there. Yeah, We then had one for the slab being poured and then there was no communication about a whole bunch of things. And then we had this new guy start who took over everything. Yeah. We had him until the end, but he was not very helpful. Right. And he's probably managing many sites. And a lot. I think they have up to 40 in each region or area. There's like different building companies call it different things, but he basically looked after homes in a 30 kilometer radius of a certain point. Yeah. And so he had so many. So for him, we are just another person on his checklist like he didn't really care as long as things were getting done in a few months yeah yeah for sure he's probably sort of drowning amongst yeah, all the or, paperwork and everything has and to be done I thought about how like we would call him and text him about things and that's just one of many people harassing him for things and that would have been really hard and now that I think back I'm like well we probably could have been not that we weren't nice but we yeah. just wanted information on why our build was not going Yeah. So it sounds like the communication between the site supervisor is pretty integral to a smooth sailing process. Yeah. And after around, actually around the time our sub was poured, I had joined a Facebook group for the building company that we were building with. And so it was a discussion group with people who were thinking of building, who were building or who had built with them. And it really became obvious that your site supervisor was what was going to be integral to your build going on. And you weren't allowed to say specific names because they initials. So people would say, Hey, what was the site supervisor like in this area? And they'd be like, Oh, I had this person or this initial and you could kind of see like there were specific areas that really had builds go fast with this you know one particular site supervisor but yeah if you didn't have him 
then it's probably not going to happen. So there's a tip for listeners who are thinking about building and you're completely foreign to this process. I mean, I'm learning just chatting to Kobe because I, I've i been through a build process, but I wasn't that involved. Yes. It was kind of at a yeah. certain stage where everything was done and it just, yeah. when it's ready, it's ready. Yep. But for first home buyers in particular, who really invested at every mm. point in time, mm-hmm. sounds like joining the Facebook group, if there is one that exists of a builder, you know, just type into the Facebook search and see if there is one because then you can get a sense of who to avoid potentially. Definitely. Um, and who's a really good one. Yeah, for sure. I really liked the Facebook group whilst we were building. Uh, I found it really interesting to see other people's stories. And even though our build took such a long time, there were people who'd been building for almost two years wow. at that stage. And you just kept being told, oh, it's because of COVID. It's because of mm. this, it's because of that. But it really wasn't. It was, they just didn't have the staff to yeah. build the homes. And whilst you were building, um, just to bring everyone up to speed, what was your living situation at the time? So my partner and I were renting and so we had rent and mortgage for from January of 2022 and Mm -hmm. so we were doubled up and we had budgeted for about six months of that. That's what we thought it would be and after speaking to the builder and they said the build would be three to four months so we thought six months would be good. That was hard, Mm -hmm. rent and mortgage and at the same time due to personal reasons I had to stop working full time as well. Mm. So that was a big hit to everything because we were told we're meant to move in. It was July and then it was September and then it was October and November, December, January. (laughs) (laughs) And we ended up moving in in January. So it was a year of rent and mortgage. Our rent went up during that time. Interest rates went up during that time. You pay all the extras. Well, basically for the last few months paying our full mortgage and our full rent because our house was finished in November, but we didn't get the keys till January. Oh my goodness. Yes. So at that time and more focusing on the money side of things yeah. at the moment than yep. the property, we'll get back to the, the progress from <laughs> yes. when the frame actually went up and yeah. onwards. But, you know, um, a lot of listeners come from the My Millennial Money Show and yeah. there's a lot of talk at the moment. How do you balance the cost of living? How yeah. do you balance interest rate rises? Yeah. So if you'd only allocated from January 2022, six months of doubling up, but it ended up being double that, double that. 12 yeah. months. Yeah. Did you have to give up anything or did you find yourself, you know, really counting your pennies at the checkout? Like what was that like from a mental financial point of view? For sure. So we had savings going into the double rent and mortgage that were savings not to pay for those things. We were saving up for things to do post handover to the house. We were saving up for furniture, just all the extra bits and pieces, just general life savings as well, emergency fund, all of that. And we spent everything we had. Wow. Basically everything. And it was hard not having two full-time incomes. Like Mm. going down to one is a lot, I think, for anyone anyway. But when you're doing both rent and mortgage, I wouldn't say our rent was the cheapest, but it wasn't overly expensive either. It was just a big expense, like attributed to living. Towards the end, I sold my car because I didn't need the nice car. I had a loan. It made sense with my old job. Um, So we sold that. We bought a car with cash, not to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of just didn't have a life. (laughs) We we just didn't, we didn't go out. We didn't do anything. We, yeah, we, we did nothing really until the house was built. I think that's so good for people to hear because I think people don't realize that's kind of what you have to do sometimes when push comes to shove. I mean, and obviously you pulled the levers that you could selling your car being one. You went into all your savings to carry over this time. Now at that time, were you focused on the outcome of the fact that 
you were at least hopeful your house had grown in value, right? I assume yes. you wouldn't be doing all this for nothing. Yes. Yeah. We knew that the land had gone up at this point and the build had in the fact that if you would have rebuilt the same house, base price was more expensive. Mm-hmm. So we were holding on to the fact that by the time we move in, we'll have all this equity and we can do something great with it. Yeah. And we had equity, but we couldn't do anything with it. So... Let's go back a step because mm-hmm. I want to get to, we know as I introed and gave away the plot <laughs> twist that you sell the property yes. and that will be yes. in the second part of this episode. Yes. But I want to go back to the time where you're actually waiting for the build to happen, yep. you're renting yep. and you're building, you're driving out there every week and you're checking <laughs> yep. it out. What were some of the key stumbling blocks you came up against from the time the slab was poured to mm-hmm. the time you actually moved in? Like if you think about in chronological order of each stage, mm-hmm. where did you hit roadblocks? So we didn't have to pay for our second loan. So we had a land loan and construction loan. Yep. We had to pay our land principal and interest the whole time because we owned that, you know, yep. in that sense. But the construction loan added up at each staged payment. So mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact percentage, but I'm pretty sure your slab, it was around 20%. Your frame was 30%. Lockup was slightly less. And then the biggest percentage was your final payment. Yeah. But every time the stage payment came up, it got more and more. It was interest only, but because it was interest only, is a very high interest rate. So yes. our land was fixed at 2%, mm-hmm. but our interest rate kept going up and up and ended up being about 8% wow. by the time our construction finished. Right. So that was hard chronologically to do mm. as well as like life in general and everything else that was going on in the background. Yeah. Um, and because there were so many delays, like our house was technically finished in November mm. and they just wouldn't hand over for the dumbest of reasons Mm -hmm. and it didn't help that my partner is a site supervisor himself but for a boutique construction company a custom builder yes and he was like if this was my house I would be doing xyz this day and we should have the keys next week yeah and they were like oh but that's you know not how we do things and so there's a lot of stress in that instance but yeah as the payments got more it just it was a lot yeah so were you paying the full amount by the November yeah. even though you didn't get your keys to the January? Yep. Wow. Yeah. And from a the point of view of that building experience leading up to the point where it is completed, mm-hmm. did it go pretty smooth sailing once the ball was up and running, like once they actually got the frame up mm-hmm. and they're starting to go through each stage or, you know, did you feel it was like a good quality build? It wasn't bad. So we had, we were paying for a private inspector at each stage as well, just because volume builders are known to cut corners and just yep. not do things a hundred percent. So that was another expense as well. It's about $600 each inspection. Everything kind of went well up until the last few months. Like our house was ready in November because we were doing the flooring post handover and the heating and cooling post handover. And so you're doing that, that's an additional cost yep. that you took on yourself. Yep. yep. Out of our own cash, instead of having in the loan or doing it through the builder, yep. we chose to do that ourselves. And they, they are the things that should have delayed the build, but mm. because we weren't doing them, the builder was a bit like, oh, but we need to finish off. Like they didn't hang the doors until right at the end and they didn't right. finish off a whole bunch of random things. Like they didn't cut the down pipes until after handover and just all these really dumb things that shouldn't have delayed it. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. And so even um, having a partner who's in the industry, you still engage this inspector at each stage. And there's probably a lot of listeners here who they really want to build their own home, but they have no idea about construction Mm. or, you know, I walk through plenty of homes. I don't have the the clue, like a clue Mm. about what to look for. Yep. 
beyond the surface. Yeah. So were you surprised by some of the things that came up in the reporting by that inspector each time? Yeah, for sure. So um, straight off the bat, our slab was pulled wrong. Oh. Um, it was too tall, which oh. it was not an issue in terms of it's better to be a taller slab than a shorter slab, for sure. Yeah. Um, they did the garage wrong. So basically where the garage door should have been, it was 30 centimetres too short. And had they have tried to put the garage door on down the track, it would have actually fallen over because there was not enough. <laughs> not ideal. You no, know, just like not good things. Um, so he was great. And they were things that my partner did notice, mm-hmm. but we can't, if we notice things wrong with the build, the builder wouldn't fix it. They could only go off the report of an inspector who is a registered builder and have done an extra course to be an inspector. So just to be clear for those listening, this is different to a building and pest inspection that yes. you get when you go and buy an established house. This is someone who's actually with you for the duration of the build. They come in at each stage, they do the report and they basically hand that defects report to the builder to say, you need to fix these things before you move on. Yep. Yeah. So they do the report. It was basically on the day that that stage was finished, but the annoying thing was the builder didn't have to rectify it until the end of the next stage. So they wouldn't start the new thing without fixing it all. And so there was a few backwards and forwards with how could you fix things like when they put the frame up and the garage slab was not right. So they had to go back and pour a few extra things. Um, So that definitely slowed it down. Do go for an inspector though. The builders Mm. will try and press you to not use one because it does slow down the process, but they are worth every penny. Yeah. And look, potentially if if builder knows you've got one in the mix, they might not be inclined to cut corners because it's going to come up anyway. For sure. They're going to have to double up. For sure. Okay, cool. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And after that, we're going to talk about the completion process, the day you actually get the keys, how exciting. (laughs) And then where you are now, because um, you're about to say goodbye to your first home. Yes. (laughs) We'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Okay, so we're back with Kobe and I want to talk about now the point of completion. So November, you walk through the property. What was the feeling like when you walk through the completed property? It was so exciting. 
we'll talk about the design yeah, <laughs> because it. it was such an exciting thing to pick everything in the tiles and the kitchen cabinets and all I wanted was this green kitchen and <laughs> <laughs> there were no green kitchens around that you could see and we'd gone off you know the tiny little sample at the design center and it was finally here a year and a half later after we picked it and it was the best yeah um, except they had installed all these cabinets that were wrong um. they had not done a bunch of these random handles they'd installed things upside down so it's really <laughs> exciting to like walk in and be like oh how beautiful like the stone looks great then they had cut the stone wrong and we had all these random small things and at the time we were a bit annoyed but it was more like our house just looks great yeah and we were like we can't wait to get the keys in a couple of weeks and we can you know the floor will go down and it will really tie it all together so that was really exciting to see the house like that yeah and it wasn't until you know, a bit later and we started noticing more and more little defects that it got a bit frustrating. And did that again come out in the report from this inspector that's been with you from the get-go? Yeah. So he did the final walkthrough the day before us actually. Um, So that was on the Monday before Christmas. So they pushed it back to Christmas (laughs) so that then there were three weeks off. So he did it on the Monday um, so we walked through with his list and there was like damaged doors that had been left out in the weather, just a whole bunch of really small things that were easy to fix, um, walls that weren't painted properly. We're still missing some cabinetry handles. We're missing a laundry hamper. The pull-out bin system had been ordered but hadn't arrived, like just a few small things. Yeah. But other than that, we were pretty happy with it. And the final inspection with the inspector, he was pretty like happy with the overall yeah. um, house. And in terms of what the estate looked like at that time, because yeah. you mentioned that you know your neighbours had sort of built and, yeah. and moved in, what stage of the estate did you buy in? Can you remember? So we were stage 13 of 17 stages. Oh, okay. So yeah quite late in the piece. Yeah. So they had begun when we bought our land, they had begun selling four years before that and had started building two years before and were basically starting a stage every few months. Whereas now they're just releasing the stages once a year. Right. until they get to the end of it. And so did you feel like you're in a fairly completed neighbourhood by the time that rolled around, the completion stage? Yes and no. Because our neighbours were finished, it felt good, but we are in the absolute corner of the estate. Okay. So we lit- we have one neighbour, if you're looking at our house from the front, we've got one neighbour to the right and we've got three neighbours behind us and that's it. We've got cows to the left and cows over the road. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Paddocks, yes. green. Yep. So whilst a lot of the estate is finished, our pocket kind of would never feel finished because it won't be built on all around it. So it's all farmland. Yeah. 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 It's all protected creek land as well. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So the aspect's always going to be yeah. there. So we'll always have the sunsets. Well, the new buyers will have the sunset <laughs> over the creek. Yeah. And in terms of being in an estate and being a part of a community within an estate, because I think a lot of people are a bit unsure about buying in new areas, you know, what's it going to be yeah, like, sure. look and feel. How would you describe your estate? What was it made up of? We love it. We love all of our neighbours. Uh, everyone in our, our little section are couples in their 20s, so yep. same demographic as us. Uh, working professionals, there's lots of tradies around. Um, we've got a few people just moved in, a couple of doors down. Um, there's some downsizers in the area too. So it's been really nice. Everyone is very friendly. The estate is actually really well looked after. People do care for their homes mm-hmm. and that is because there are not many rentals. And I yeah. spoke on that in my last episode. You actually have to get approval from the developer to rent out. Right. Um, when we bought in, it was 99% unoccupied. Wow. And only two rentals have gone up in the estate since we started building basically. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's a great rule to have in place oh, to sure. maintain yep. the look and feel of the estate. Yeah. So if you're shopping, you know, in different estates at the moment, make mm. sure you ask those questions. Mm. Can anyone just flip it to an investment? What does that look like? Do we need approval? Yep. What percentage are owners versus renters? It Definitely. does make a big difference. Huge. In uh, funnily enough, our neighbour has now become one of the new rental. Oh. A new landlord. Yeah. <laughs> um, he decided to rent out um, because he got a job off overseas. So oh. he had to go through the process through the developer. Right. And it just made sense. He was not going to leave an empty house here for a while. Do you know how long that lasts for? Like how long does the developer have a hold over like what can be done? Like I assume at some point that yeah. has to be like null and void, right? Because they're obviously yeah. still developing the area yeah. right now. They've still got stages left to yep. sell. Yeah. Yep. But for some people they'd go, well, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah, you know? oh, for sure. <laughs> I actually don't know. It it wasn't in our contract a time period, but it did say in your land contract about right. um, when you bought the land, flipping it to an investment. But I wonder if once you then, if you unsold, if it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Okay, I'm not sure. Private sale. Yeah. Because yep. there were definitely no clauses in our contract when we sold saying they couldn't have an investment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Just something to note yeah. um, and keep an eye out for, for sure. You moved in in January yes. and you text me and you said, Emily, I'm never moving again. <laughs> This is such a dreadful process. Yes, yes. I'm sick of moving. I'm not moving again. And so we're recording in June of 2023. I had to check the date. What's happened between January and June? Six months. What's happened? A lot's happened. Mm. So we thought we'd be here for a few years Mm. and have a great time and, you know, do all these fun things before making an investment. That was always the end goal. Once we moved in, we had a valuation done about four weeks later. There was a desktop valuation by the bank to get us off our first home loan deposit scheme and just have a normal loan. Mm -hmm. That um, bank val came back with a very high LVR. Right. It came back um, mid 900,000s and we'd spend about 800,000 on the house. So we were like, wow, that's, that's crazy. That's a lot of money. But because of that, we had to get off our lower interest rate. Um, so our mortgage basically doubled that day. Right. Okay. And we were like, wow, that's all, it's gone up a lot. So we'd done the rent and mortgage for all of last year and had been paying the double for the end of the year. Mm. And at this point going up, we were still basically just on one full-time income. Mm. I only work casually a few days a week and we were like, oh, this could be exciting if we sold actually. So we had a few more valuations done in person um, because desktop values are quite they just pluck numbers as a robot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not personable. There's no emotion attached to it. Uh, so we had some desktop valuations done. However, we didn't have our landscaping or our driveway done at the time. Right. And they came back mid 900s again. Okay. But we were told once landscaping and driveway had been put in, it should be around 960, 970. Wow. A lot of money. Yeah. For where we live. I was yeah. shocked. My partner and I were both shocked. And we went is the mortgage worth having at this stage? Mm. We It's a lot of money. And if we could sell at a profit, why why not? Particularly because your way into this property was as a first home buyer, right? Yes, correct. So you got stamp duty concessions? Yep. 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 You got a grant and we'll touch on that. Yes. Because there's some T's and C's around grants. Because yes. people are probably thinking, oh, she's sold out too quick. Yes. We'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> chat on that. Um, anything else that was an incentive um, or at the time that was worthwhile? So we had the first home loan deposit scheme. So we only yep. had to put forward 5% deposit in cash. We yep. had more cash than that, but it made sense to go in with less because we wanted to spend money post handover doing more things. Sure. And then we had first home and a grant. 
Yeah, that was our incentives. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you kind of leveraged everything you could, right, yeah. to get in, which is yeah. your first time, first and only time you can use these things. So Absolutely. you took advantage of it, which is yep. awesome. That's what you should do. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so then you get this decent valuation comeback and you're thinking, yeah. wow, it's a fair yeah. bit of equity. Yeah. What are we going to do? Yes, actually. So before we thought about selling, it was about the equity. So we wanted to use that because yeah. we had all this money sitting there, a lot of equity we could buy, you know, another property with. And there was always a plan was this was an investment. We could use it, leverage it to buy another. Mm. However, we didn't have the borrowing capacity because my partner's the only one with a full-time income. Right. And at this point too, I hadn't been in my casual job for the income of that to count because right. depending on the lender, you have to work between six and nine months casually to have it as a guaranteed income. So we had all of this equity sitting there as about $200,000 and we couldn't do anything with it. Right. Because you're borrowing capacity. Yeah. Lend, you're, the lender wouldn't yeah. lend basically. Yeah, yeah. basically. And wow. we also couldn't fully refinance because you have to have the borrowing capacity to refinance as well. So in a bit of limbo. Yeah. yeah got equity. Yep. Yeah. We've got no usable cash. Yeah. And we've got this asset that we can't really do anything with but live in it. So you only really have one solution in that scenario. Yeah. You have to sell. Yeah. If you want the map, if you yeah, want the money. If we want the money. Yeah. Yep. Or you weigh up, you know, is it worth paying the mortgage? Yes. And so what was that conversation around? Do we keep paying the mortgage and stay here? Mm -hmm. Was it a lifestyle choice? Was it a financial choice? Um, combination of both. Yep. Our mortgage had doubled basically the interest rates, which has affected everyone um, yep. in all sorts of ways. And had you have told us like two years ago when we we literally bought our land two years ago this month that all of this is going to happen, I would have laughed and mm. been like, you're kidding, right? Yeah. Um, so definitely lifestyle and financial. We wanted to do more. We were still doing nothing with our life at this stage except for having this beautiful home yeah but that's all we could do yeah we're sitting in our house and do not to enjoy it oh I know it's been great <laughs> it's, it's been such a nice house and I'm sure your dog Luna loved it I too know, she does <laughs> even chickpea he loves yeah. the backyard chickpea's the cat by yes, the way yes our cat <laughs> yeah so financially it was probably the initial thing knowing further in this year I would have to take more time off work because of some medical reasons yeah. so there was a few other expenses we knew we had coming up that we were like we really can't balance all of this like yeah it is not worth it and in this time as well my car died <laughs> it was just financially there's a lot going on yeah in a few months so we went let's sell and just for reference um your car dying I mean the location <laughs> of um where you were living right yeah. you need a car to commute there's so, no public transport really yeah, far southeast yep. I would classify as yeah, yeah. far southeast yep. of Melbourne Yep. Yeah, that's not ideal. No, and I my job is not work from home, unfortunately, yep. and it's a decent 40-minute drive. So I was borrowing people's cars, but we needed to buy a car because my partner also only has a two-door ute, which <laughs> does not help when you've got pets and just life in general and yeah. it's manual and I can't drive that either and I wasn't going to drop him off to work with his tools <laughs> and then go back to my work. So, <laughs> so uh, came down to a decision to sell. Yep. It's funny because we've had conversations offline about the process of selling and, you know, how, what your experience has been. Yeah. What's harder, being a buyer or a seller? Seller. <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> it was awful. And I, I shouldn't say it. It was awful for us. We had a lot happen in the time that our house was on the market. And I would much prefer to buy homes. It is so much easier. So um, you decide to sell and what's your first point of action? What do you do? I called the top three local agents in the area. Yep. And I called you for advice <laughs> and I called an out of area agent as well. Yes. And so you interviewed the agents? Yes, they all came through. The appraisals were all very different. Okay. The first agent didn't seem like he wanted to sell our house. Oh. He did not want to be there. Right. It was a very odd interaction. Okay. That was fine. He didn't follow up. 
we didn't choose him. Okay. Then the other two agents came together because they were from the same office. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, and we had those who we clicked very well with them. Mm-hmm. We had the out of area agent come, who is a good friend. And he would have been a great agent to sell, but his way of selling was to do an auction mm-hmm. and that just wouldn't have worked in the area. Sure. Most people are subject to finance um, in the area that we um, have our house and it just, it wouldn't have worked. So we went with the local two agents that came through that we got along well with and we had the house on the market two weeks later. Wow. So what was your sort of preparation for sale? I mean, obviously it's a brand new house, so it's pretty good yeah. condition, but yeah. like what, do you have to do anything in particular to get it ready? Um, so in that two weeks, we had our driveway poured, we finished our landscaping, my partner built a deck. Yeah. Um, we had borrowed, you know, furniture and artwork and things off family because this is a big house. <laughs> We'd come from a two bed unit. <laughs> to fill it um, out. <laughs> we had a stylist even to bring another bed in because oh, wow. we needed extra things. Yeah. And um, we got that done in two weeks. Awesome. So It was good to have the time limit on it because otherwise we would not have done half these things for ages. Yeah. Once you yeah. commit, you just got to be hard and yep. fast, get it done. Yep. We had timeline, photos were on the Monday. It was going online on the Wednesday. Wow. And so you had the first open home? Yep. First open home. Um, there were quite a few people came through. A lot of people loved the house. We built an unusual house for the area. Mm-hmm. We had a very big block for an estate. We decided to build a three-bedroom home that was 28 squares. Mm-hmm. Most people would have built a four-bedroom, 32-square home with no backyard, no front yard, nothing. Sure. Or a double-story, you know, 40, 50-square home. Yeah. And so a lot of people actually liked that it was three bedrooms that were larger Mm -hmm. um, than your average, but a lot of people didn't like that because they had more than two kids. But we ended up with a few offers after the first open, very low. Okay. Very low. And we were shocked and it was a really strange process. I didn't think that would happen. Yeah. And we said no to all of those offers. Because as we just touched on, you had a, some valuations done, yes. right? And so you probably had this figure of yes. what, nine, sixty, nine, yeah. seventy floating yeah. around being like, well, the bank said that and banks are conservative. So it must yep. be that. Absolutely. And yep. so even when the agents appraised our house, they were shocked at the bank valuations. Right. And I always thought they were conservatives. So we, oh, it would have been amazing if we had have sold in the 900,000s, that would have been yep. a lot of money. We basically decide if we sold for 880,000, we're walking away with a really good profit. And so these offers were just too low? Too low. And the agent couldn't get them up? Nope. They couldn't get them up. They had either really long settlements or they had some weird clauses. Like someone wanted to add a clause that they could add blinds in because they didn't like our sheer curtains. <laughs> just like, just selective. random things. Yeah. <laughs> um, just random things. So you rejected those and yes. then pressed on with the process? Yes. And in this time, our main agent went on holiday. Mm-hmm. So we had different agent looking after us. And then there were just a few people in dribs and drabs at all of our inspections and we were getting a bit worried at this stage. It had mm. been a few weeks and there'd been a couple of opens with no one there. Right. And because we had rejected a few offers, our price had changed and had to reflect the rejected offer at the low end of the range. Yeah. Um, which initially, like, the we didn't agree with the range, but we trusted our agents um, knowing the area and what, you know, it should sell for. And then we had to have a meeting with our agents and they dropped the price range massively. Right. Yes. And okay. we were very shocked. And at this stage, the agents questioned us and said, do you still want to sell? Oh. Um, but we kind of had to sell like with this financial point where it was like, it's not worth it. Our mortgage is still going up. We, yeah. It's a lot of money and we've committed to sell. And at this stage too, you've just paid five and a half grand for marketing. Mm-hmm. And that's another expense of styling and everything else. Like we just wanted to sell. And 
did they ultimately find, well, they must have, but how do they ultimately find your buyer? Funny, my partner sold the house for us. <laughs> so at this Mitch's stage, real agent. our real estate agent had quit after this meeting and things- quit real estate, quit not real quit estate, yeah. Not just quit us. It yeah. wasn't us. Yeah. Well, he just left real estate. Yeah. And the price drop had brought in a lot of people, which okay. was good. We'd had a few offers that were just sitting there that slightly lower than what we wanted, but we were trying to, well, the agent was trying on working on um, bringing them up a bit. And then it was a Saturday a few weeks ago. Um, Mitch had got home five minutes after the agent had left and someone came and knocked on the door and asked if the open was still on. <laughs> and Mitch said, no, um, but you can come through the house. Come on in. So the pets are here, but you can come through. They walked through, they called the agent, they placed an offer. No way. We accepted it on the Monday. It was subject to finance. So that yep. was another whole thing, but it was a lot better uh, terms and just even other clauses um, mm-hmm. that, compared to the other buyers who were interested. So you took it? Yep, we took it. Yeah. And it went unconditional three days ago on Tuesday and it's such a good feeling. It's sold. Wow. Yeah. This is a very live update, isn't it? It's just gone unconditional. It's just happened and settlements in five and a half weeks. Wow. Yeah. It's all happening really fast. Yeah. And so how do you feel now financially and emotionally knowing that it's sold and you're entering another chapter? Amazing. Yeah. It is such a good feeling um, because for us, like personally in the future, I might never be able to work full time is one whole thing. Yeah. Um, so we will always have to rely on my partner's income. I'll be able to work, but just not a lot. Yeah. And so the fact that we don't have mortgage stress is amazing. I never thought I'd feel so good about it actually. Yeah. Like everyone talks about buying a house is the best thing and the be all and end all. And now that we've done it, mm. and I must say we've done it at a young age. I was 22 when we bought the land. Yeah. I'm 24 now. Yeah. We're 25 soon. And it's like, we've been there, we've done it. And at the moment we're okay with not having a mortgage. We will buy an investment property with the funds we've got from the sale, but probably in the next six months, be a very low um, purchase price, hopefully positively geared and just do that instead of having like our own mortgage on our own home. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's great. And I think, you know, obviously your circumstances did change throughout the time, health reasons, but also the interest rate rises. Yeah. Like everything yep. changed from Inflation. what you started out with. Yeah. 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 So you made the right decision for you yes. and your situation. 100%. Um, now, one thing I'm sure people are wondering what happened with the um, the time frame of buying and selling because we always harp on about the time period you have to stay in the property yes. for the grants. Yes. So you've sold sooner than a year, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. way sooner. Way sooner. So what happened? Like what happens? So because we were able to refinance and get off the first home loan deposit scheme, so that's where we went in at 5%, the government covered our LMI for not having 20% deposit. Mm-hmm. Um, we got into a normal loan after that because our LVR was better than 80-20. Yep. And so because of that, we don't have to live in the property for 12 months. Oh, great. While you're on that special scheme, you have to. Yes. However, we got 10 grand from the government with the first homeowner grant. Mm -hmm. And that is on the condition that you live in your house for 12 months. So we do have to pay that back at settlement. Okay. And just to clarify for everyone, that's the one that you get when you build a property, goes towards the build costs in a metro region. I think it's 20 grand for a regional, um, but 10 grand for metro. So you had the 10 grand, you have to give it back. Yes. And we actually chose to have the 10 grand in cash. So you can either have it 10 grand towards your build or your oh. loan, or you can have it in cash, but we got it in cash so we could pay for things post handover. So had we have 
not done that, we wouldn't have to pay back the cash, but our loan amount would be slightly higher. So you okay. still have to pay it back in a sense, but we it's now literally somewhere. have to give yeah. 10 grand in cash. <laughs> and that will just come out of the disbursements yeah. at your settlement yeah. to the back to the state revenue office. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you've come away fairly unscathed. It's smart yeah. that you were able to refinance yeah. the, the deposit scheme because yeah. that could have been a bit more problematic. Yeah. I'm not sure what the rules what are. Would, yeah. yeah. It wasn't really clear online. So we were really lucky that our house did grow in two years. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Had we have gone in with 5% and it had not grown or had gone down, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, for sure. We're not walking away at a loss. So that's ideally yeah. what you yeah, want, right? Exactly. <laughs> You're not walking away at a loss yeah. and you probably feel a bit more stable yeah. financially. You yep. can buy an investment property. Yep. And so you've got five and a half weeks until settlement. Yes. You're back in the rental market. Yep. <laughs> How's that? Um, somewhere <laughs> where we didn't think we'd be anytime soon. Yeah. Um, insane. 20 plus groups that opens, mm. people offering way more, which was happening like last time we rented, which we got our rental, it must have been November 2021. There were still a lot of people looking then, but then compared to now is insane. Yeah. And the cost of some of the rentals as well and what people are offering and what people are willing to do. There's been a lot of people just sharing with other couples because that's the only way to get in. Yeah. So I'm got a busy day tomorrow. <laughs> got a lot of events to <laughs> attend. Be running around Melbourne tomorrow and trying <laughs> yeah. to find another house. Yeah. But I guess, you know, the stress of that is temporary, hopefully. Oh, for sure. And we've got options too. Uh, yeah. We can save family for a little bit yeah. if we need to. Ideally, we don't want to do that because we've got pets and a whole house worth of stuff that we'd then have to store, but we could stay there. Yeah. yeah. From this whole experience, which has been a whirlwind, <laughs> and I've witnessed as a, I've been a bystander witnessing <laughs> yes. this because um, I know Kobe quite well. What's been the biggest lesson for you or what would you impart on someone who's maybe about to go through this process or even halfway through it at the moment? Yeah, I think if you can afford it and have all the buffers in place, I wouldn't be concerned about buying. Mm -hmm. But as of today, if I was needing to build a house or I had land, I would be very scared to build in terms of businesses going broke. Yeah. Is the biggest thing. I know a few people who have stuck with the Porter Davis liquidation. Yep. I... I wouldn't, I wouldn't not build again. I mm. would build again in the future for sure, but I would really question who I'm building with Yes, and really get into it with them and work out all the ins and outs and, you know, the time frame. I've got another friend who's still building and they are now paying him $300 a week because it's gone, you know, so far over his build. Oh gosh. I just ask a lot of questions is the biggest yeah. thing. Research, yeah. education, yeah. pick someone I have a lot of buffers be... in place just in case something does happen. Yeah. Yeah. Do your research. And John and I did do an episode. John's probably more skilled in the building side of things because he does help people with um, newer builds at mm -hmm. times. There is an episode, I can't remember the, the number of it, but there is an episode not too long ago we touched on selecting a builder and John also interviewed a builder from a, a building company yeah. um, to talk about what questions to ask and what to know. So if you're, if you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, I'm about to go through the build phase, I'm not too sure, mm -hmm. maybe listen to that as well mm. as hearing Kobe's experience. Mm. But yeah, there's a lot to know. Oh yeah. And you don't want to find out the hard way. No. Yeah. And you would never know everything. There will mm. always be a surprise. I think regardless of volume builder, custom builder, yeah. there will be a surprise somewhere. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, congratulations Thank on you. being a buyer and a seller. <laughs> what a whirlwind. The new chapter begins. You're going to be a rent vester. Yes. Love it. Yes. Join the rent vesting crew. Yes, very excited. Um, but I think you're so right to be able to do what you've done younger. You've mm. kind of been there, done that, you mm. know. Yeah. And if the opportunity arises in life again for it to happen, you kind of go in pretty yeah, well informed. For sure. 
Yeah. For sure. So if you're young and you're thinking about it, you know, I think sometimes my mindset is if you're young enough to try, you don't have dependents, go for it. Yeah. You know, as long as you've done some sort of financial plan around it. Mm. It gets harder, I think, when you have kids in the mix and liabilities and more than just a mortgage. Yep. So thank you for sharing. No it's always worries. good to have a story and a part two. So if you didn't catch at the beginning, Kobe's part one story was episode 419, where she spoke about getting into the fact of actually going forward for a build. And now this has come full circle. She's mm. built and she's sold. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for sharing. If you are a listener of the show and you have a story you would like to share with us, an interesting one, um, a different way to get into the property market, maybe you've done a joint venture with someone, maybe you've bought with a family member, something that's different or you've leveraged something to navigate your way through these very interesting economic times, send me a message or send the podcast a message or hit me up on Instagram, wherever you find us, just message us um, and let us know. And if you're not part of the My Millennial Money Facebook group, you should jump in there so you can ask questions and give us your feedback. Until next time, have a great week ahead and let us know what you'd like to hear. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Career, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily, and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.